Thanks, everybody. So glad you came out this morning. It's nice to see you. Uh, I know a bunch of you. Some of you I've not met yet, but I want to tell you, you're all welcome. You're, you're welcome in whatever state you are. Uh, whatever you believe or don't believe, we're glad you decided to spend the morning with us. And we hope, I hope, that you will find something uh, helpful in today's talk from the Bible. We're doing a new series, kicking off a new series today. It's going to last a couple weeks, two or three uh, calling this series Good Decisions. Uh, our intention is to look to the Bible for help in making better decisions as time goes on. But I, I want to begin, before we jump into the, the, this whole thing, to, to, I want to start by telling you a story. So it's a story uh, that some of you may have read recently, if you've been tracking with our, our uh, church Bible reading schedules. It's a story about a guy named Saul of Tarsus. So Saul was a really, really good Jew. He was devout. He loved the law. He loved God. He wanted to please God. And, and, and he was just like whatever he did, he like threw himself into with all of his energy. And he would have been a contemporary with Jesus and the apostles. And, but he did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He thought Jesus was a heretic, and he thought that the people who followed Jesus were heretics, and that they were messed up and troublemakers, and were messing up his the religion that he loved. And so he he joined the effort to to kind of suppress Christianity, and he would arrest people, and if if you know if they were executed, he'd be there cheering cheering it on, you know. And, And he was so concerned about this, that he went and talked to the high priests and said, hey, uh, I'd, like, I'd like to go to Damascus, which is quite a ways. I mean, it was up in Syria. Apparently, he'd either heard or had suspicions that this, this news about Jesus, this message about Jesus, this idea that he's the Savior of the world, that this was going to spread to other places. And so he thought, I want to I go up there. We, we, we need to do something. we got to nip this in the bud. It's basically what he's thinking. So they gave him uh, permission, and, and he went toward Damascus. His intention was to harass the church, arrest people, maybe bring them back to Jerusalem and make them answer, you know, for their heresy. So while he's on the way to Damascus, suddenly this bright, bright light appears, and it had a couple effects on him. One of the things that happened was he went totally weak and fell to the ground. And the other thing was, he couldn't see anymore. He was blind. And then, like out of this light, a voice spoke to him and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, uh, who are you, Lord? Which maybe you'd think like if you know that he's the Lord, why are you asking him who he is? But that word Lord, it could mean something like, Sir, or he could be meaning something like, who are you, person who I obviously need to pay attention to, or person who I need to show some honor and deference toward, you know? Could mean something like that. And, and, and then the voice came back and said, I am Jesus who you have been persecuting. And then, and then Saul said this. He said, what do you want me to do? Now that is a great question. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be getting lots of practical advice about decision making. 
But today, we'll, we'll do well if we can just lay a really good foundation for all that. And, and, and one of the things that's obvious is, you know, people who want to make good decisions ask questions, you know. Like, I'm, I'm driving this car that I'm thinking about buying. And, uh, and then Mary got in the car with me, and she said, what is that noise? So see, this will be helpful as I'm trying to make a decision to determine what's making the noise. You know, you have to ask questions if you're going to make good decisions. But but I want to say that there is like one question that is sort of the foundation for a whole string of very, very good decisions. And that is that is this question. This is the question that I think everybody should ask first. Lord, what do you want me to do? That's like the starting place. So, starting place for a life of good decisions. Now, making decisions can be difficult. And it's harder for some of us than it is for others. It's harder in some seasons than it is in other seasons. You know, harder in some circumstances than it is in other circumstances. Uh, But all of us have made bad decisions. I mean, everybody I know who's like honest, there's something that they decided once upon a time that they seriously regret. And for most of it, it's it's a fairly frequent recurrence, you know, that we make decisions and then wish we'd done something else. There are a few people who seem to make really good decisions, and there are some people who make really quick decisions, and there's a really small group of people who seem to be able to make quick good decisions, but we've all made some bad ones. And, 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 and we, we want to learn to do better. Now, this interest in doing better, like making better decisions, is, it's like a, a bigger topic in society at large than it used to be. Um, I mean, it's, a, there's a, there's more interest than there would have been in previous stages of the history of our planet. And, and the reason for that is, is that decision making is considerably more complicated than it used to be. I mean, and the main reason for that is we have way more choices than people used to have. And, and this has to do with all kinds of things that were different, you know, like in the old days. Uh, I mean, the, the reason for this would have, would have to do with like geography, for example. You, you were limited by geography. So you didn't have a lot of choices that we would have. Your vocation probably would have been determined from birth. You're born in some village. You know, if you're a boy, you're going to do whatever your dad did. If you're a girl, you're going to do whatever your mom did. And actually, what mostly what the family did was try to make sure we had enough food to make it till the next day. You know, I mean, that's really honestly been the truth about huge percentage of the population over the course of history of the planet. And and uh, you know, you you, you were people weren't mobile. You probably weren't going to go anywhere. You you, you would you wouldn't think very much about going someplace else because you didn't really have any idea what any other place was like or how much danger you'd have to go through to get there and what you'd find when you arrived. So your 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 knowledge was pretty much limited to your tribe or to your village, and this could be a fairly small group of people. You had limited options. It's still true in some places of the world where, you know, what you have for breakfast will be rice and what you will have for lunch will be rice with some vegetables. And then you, for supper, if you have supper, there'll be rice with some protein in there somewhere. You know, and, and then probably like the same menu again tomorrow. I mean, this has been common throughout the history of the world. 
There were people who didn't have to think about what they were going to eat. The question was, do we get to eat? You know, and and, and then clothing, you know, you, you'd pretty much wear the same thing until it began to wear out. And then you'd get an, a new version of exactly the same thing to wear until it wore out. And and uh, and and marriage, maybe in your in your village, you know, there are not a whole lot of options. If you're a young woman and you're thinking you want to get married, you know, it's it's entirely conceivable that there are only like about 10 eligible guys in your circle of relationship. And then you might find out that three of those are your cousins, you know. So, I mean, it it narrows the field and makes decisions. I mean, it's not quite as complicated when there are less choices. And shopping? <laughs> Nobody shops. You just try to go out and find stuff to keep yourself alive. So... Now, we have more choices and more options about more things than most people who ever lived on the planet. So I read this article. This guy says he claims that he went to his local uh, big big store. You know, he went to a big store and he found uh, 265, 260. 285 kinds of cookies. That was it. 285 kinds of cookies and 360 shampoo options. Which makes me think, if like you're going to send your spouse to the store, you better be like super specific. You know, like send, take a picture of what you want and put, send it to their phone, you know, because there is like so, so, Many options. So you, you might think, you know, that decision making would be easier for Christians because we follow a leader who is known, among other things, for telling people what to do. So, you know, it seems like, well, that should make it easier. But maybe it isn't because now, uh, in addition to trying to figure out what you want and what's wise and maybe what the experts recommend, you have to know whether God has an opinion about the thing. And then, then you, then that leads to this question, like, which things does God have opinions about? Does he care, does he care what shoes I wear today? Does he care about the car? I'm pretty sure he cares about who I marry, but where do we, where do we draw the lines about what God's interested in? Big things? How big do they have to be for God to be interested in them? As I've read books and listened to people about this whole thing, several great books, and it's fascinating how varied people's opinions are. I, I, I know a guy who said every morning when he gets up, I get dressed. And after I get dressed, I go into my closet and I ask the Lord what shoes he wants me to wear. I, I don't do that. Although I do occasionally ask Mary, does this look stupid? But I don't, I don't, I don't ask God about it. I don't ask God, do my, does these shoes match? I ask my wife. Okay, but, uh, so, but I'm real optimistic that we can find help from the Bible over the, over the, the next few weeks. But today, if we just want to establish a strong foundation, we know that asking help, uh, questions helps. And this is the best question to start with. Lord, what do you want me to do? So let's look at some verses from the Bible. Let's begin with this one. This is from Romans 8, 27 and 28. This actually was the last slide in Jerron's sermon last week. And here he, here he says, uh, the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that 
for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. There's a rich and wonderful promise there, isn't there? Yeah. Now, I just want to highlight a couple parts of this in this next slide. He says here, notice, according to the will of God. And then down at the end, according to his purpose. And I think these phrases are kind of the same thing. God has purposes and God has a will. And a third word that we'll see a little bit later is that God has a plan. And all of these essentially refer to the same thing. God's will, God's purpose, and God's plan. But here's here's something you should know. When the Bible talks about the purpose or the will or the plan of God, it is very, very rarely talking about how individuals can, can find guidance in specific circumstances. Almost never talking about that. It's, it's not like about, when you talk, the, the verses about finding the will of God don't have much to do with like, should we buy the house or not buy the house? No. It, when the Bible talks about the will of purpose of God, it's talking, the, the writers of scripture are, are, are almost always talking about God's will for humanity or his will for history or his will for the church. Something bigger than you. Now, God's purpose and plan has implications for you. And I I have to tell you, God's purpose and His plan is very good news for you. But it's not really about you. It's about something bigger than you that you can like get in on. That He wants you to get in on. So, God had a will and God had a purpose and God had a plan before you were born. And the, the authors of Scripture are mostly interested in a bigger story than your story. And they believed that your best decisions will come from understanding that story and finding your place in it. There's a place for you in that big story, and they want you to find it. So I want to look at a passage that kind of breaks that down, or a passage that I have managed to break down to help us see it more clearly. This is Ephesians 3, verses 9 through 11. And Paul begins by saying that God gave him a particular grace, an ability. And that ability was to bring to light for everyone... The plan, the plan of God, that's that third word. The plan was about a mystery that was hidden for ages in God who created all things. And what's his intention? His intention is that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Now, I just pause right here and say a simple way of saying that is the plan of God and the purpose of God is that God would get a whole lot of glory. I mean, like all of it. And that may bother you because you know that it wouldn't be good for you to seek your own glory. And that would be true. But it's totally different. It's absolutely appropriate for God to seek his own glory because everything is better for everybody the more glory God gets. When, when actually people acknowledge him and turn to him and recognize his goodness and grace, things improve dr- dramatically. So, so basically... Uh, he, that's a, a strong defense there of, of God wanting His goodness and grace to be known. And then he says, finally here, how? How is this going to happen? And the answer is, through the church. And then he finishes up by saying, this was according to this eternal purpose, the plan, the purpose, the will of God that he has realized. It's come to fruition. It's actually not, it's not a pipe dream. It's been made real in Jesus our Lord. 
And uh, I love, there's other translations that, that uh, I like that's, that say that different ways. Uh, one, one says, this was, this synced up with the plan he had from the beginning of time. Or, or all of these things are aspects of God's plan for all of history. Isn't that great? God has a plan for all of history. And, and, and he's, and here's the thing about God's purposes. They always come true. They always come true. So, and then, and then I want to just talk a little bit about mystery. He says there's a mystery hidden. And then he says something about the church down here. And those two ideas are connected. So let me, let me connect them for you. So, at the beginning of the Bible, there are two chapters in which there is no sin and there is a wedding. And then at the end of the Bible, there are two chapters in which there is no sin and there is a wedding. Now, all between, between the beginning and the end, there's loads of sin and, and many great adventures. But there's, there's the wedding at the beginning and the wedding at the end. And, uh, so, so in the beginning, God made a man in his own image. And, and he, he, he was a guy. And then, the way I understand, I, he didn't just take a rib. My, my conviction, I will, I will not try to convince you of this today, but I'm happy to try to convince you some other time. He did not take a rib. He split the guy in two. He split the guy in two, made a woman out of half of him, separated him into two pieces, two people. Then he said, now come back together and be one flesh. Okay, so anyway, whether you believe that or not, that's even if you think he took the rib, the story still holds. Okay, so so anyway, so he's got this couple now who are unified. They're like two people and they're also one person. And then he comes and he walks with them. And he talks with them. And they ask him questions and he answers their questions. And they respect him and he provides for them everything that they need. And it's a really, really wonderful thing. And then at the end of the book, the, the angel says, I'm going to show you the bride of the Lamb of God. And many of you would know the Lamb of God is Jesus, the one who takes away the sin of the world, the sacrificial Lamb who takes away the, the sin of the world. And, and the angel says to John, I'm going to show you the bride of the Lamb. And then what does he see? He sees a city coming down from heaven like this massive community of holy people who are coming down from heaven. So, so basically, he says there's a mystery. A mystery that's hidden. Mystery, mystery in the Bible doesn't mean like, you know, Agatha Christie or Alfred Hitchcock or who, who killed the, who killed who in, with what item in which room, you know, it's not, no, the mystery in the Bible means there's something that you couldn't ever figure out unless somebody revealed it to you. That's what mystery in the Bible means. And so, basically, what he's saying here, and what is said very clearly in other places, like other places even in Ephesians, is that, is that what God did right there in the beginning, what we see right there in the beginning, God with a community, and they're like tight, and there's openness, and provision, and joy, and right relationship, okay? That's what we're going to end up with eventually, only way, way bigger. That's where we're headed. That's God's plan. That's God's purpose. 
Now the couple sinned, they messed up, and all of us who descended from them sinned and messed up. But I want to tell you, when God purposes to do something, He won't even let your sin get in the way of it. He will accomplish what He has determined to do. And that is astoundingly good news. So, Jesus comes and dies and does hard work, and the big plan is revealed. And, and the plan is, the big plan is that the relationship between God and the original man and the woman, uh, who were in perfect unity with one another and in perfect relationship with Him, is good, that, that's the end that we're headed toward. So based on this, based on this, we could say, let's look at this next slide, that the will of God is the kingdom of God and the church and the churches. So when Jesus came preaching, He said, He said to people, uh, the kingdom of God has come among you. He said things like that. Now, you know, what he could have said that would have meant exactly the same thing is, I am the king and I am among you. I mean, it's the same thing, essentially. When he says the kingdom of God is near to you, what he means is, I'm right here and God's giving everything to me. (laughs) That's what he means. And he acted like that. I mean, that's why they said, oh, he teaches like one with authority. I mean, he, he, the winds and the waves obey him. I mean, he is, Jesus is like large and in charge. There's nobody like him. So, so anyway, this is the kingdom. Now the kingdom of God is like simultaneously, uh, a current reality. God has declared. He said to the son, ask of me. He said, he says to the son, ask of me and I'll give you the nations as your inheritance. The ends of the earth is your possession. You're going to rule them. And, and, and when Jesus, just before he goes back to heaven, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So he's already ruling as king. And yet, he, keep, he tells us to pray. Keep praying that this kingdom will advance. That, that the kingdom will be fully manifest. He, wants, he says, pray this. Let the rule come to the earth and let the will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's, that's the way he says. So, so anyway, what I'm saying is, is that if like you want the first step toward making good decisions, it would be decide to like give yourself to what God's about. And that is about seeing Jesus honored and obeyed. That, like that's the core. And, 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 and the Father is committed to this in 1 Corinthians 15. This is verses 24 to 28. Don't have a slide. You can look it up if you want to. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 to 28. He, he basically says, Paul says there, the Father is currently bringing all things into subjection to the Son. And uh, the, when there's no death, that's when we know it's over. So it's pro, he's progressively bringing all things into subjection to the Son, which like I'm pretty happy about that. That is like good, good news. You can get the, the Sunday Globe, look at it. You can go home and, and watch CNN or Fox News, and I, I, I'm pretty sure that you will not hear any news as good as this. Again, again this morning, the Father is bringing all things into subjection to His Son. Whoo! That's a relief. So, that's the kingdom. And the will of God is, is the church. And the church, you know, is, is like 
All of the people who are consciously and willingly submitted to the authority of Jesus. And it's massive. It's like all over the world. And, and some of us are in heaven too. I mean, people submitted and praising Him and giving thanks and saying, we'll do whatever you want us to do. I mean, that's, it's, there's nothing like it, like the church. The churches are like the church in, in local expression. Where, where you've got a, 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 com, a community and a locality that's like committed to the same thing. They're huddled up and they're saying, yeah, we're all about that. So see, that's supposed to be who we are. Hope it is what we're about. So, so that's like God's will. So here's another passage. This is from Ephesians 5, uh, 15 and 17. So it says here, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay, uh, let's, next slide highlights these. Again, I think this is on, this is topic, this is on topic here. He says, make the best use of time. Now that has to do with making decisions, doesn't it? I mean, you, you'll make decisions today, and you will either use the time well, or you will waste the block of time for whatever that decision was, you know? I mean, maybe that's your goal, is to waste a little time. That's okay. If you make, I mean, I think that's alright occasionally. But, but you are making decisions about your time. And time management is like, it's a huge deal, isn't it? Lots and lots of books about it. And, and time management is part of good decisions. Yeah. But, this text says that if you want to make good decisions about your time and your energies, the first thing you need to do is understand what God's about. And, and get on board with it. So, so understanding, I mean, getting a grip on God's intentions for the earth will help you make good decisions and manage your time well. You don't want to be making foolish decisions. So latch on to what God's will, God's purpose, God's big intentions are. So it's wonderful news. I mean, you don't have to know what career God prefers for you or who you are destined to marry to avoid wasting time. All you got to do is like latch on to God's big will and purpose. And... uh I mean, here's extra good news. We're not in the dark about this. We, he says understand, that means we can understand. And Paul told us in Romans that he, he was bringing the mystery to light. And, and, and here in this next slide, in Ephesians 1.9, Paul says very clearly, he has made known to us the mystery of his will. And I think we should all pause and say, thank you. Thank you. He has made known to us the mystery. You... Mystery. You couldn't have known it if he hadn't told you. But he did. Isn't that good? Yeah. It is. So, so, God is interested in all the decisions that you make. And he wants to be your guide through life. He wants to be your counselor. And I would encourage you to pray to him about all kinds of decisions. Except maybe which shoes you're going to wear. I don't, I don't care about that. But, but bring things to him regularly. I mean, like, for example, if you're thinking about getting married, you should pray about that a lot. Like, you know, like, well, I'll tell you how it was for me. 
I started praying somewhere along the line in my relationship with Mary. I started praying, Lord, well, I, I would say, Lord, is this, is this what you want for us? Is this what you want for her? Is this what you want for me? I had to, not, I had to ask for her too, you know. Am I who you want for her? Is she who you want for me? And then the, as time went on, I began to pray things like, if you don't want me to marry her, you need to get in the way pretty quick. You, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, we, you, pr- you pray and you, you stay in communication with God through the process of making decisions. And God, I, we're going to talk more about it next week, about guidance and how to get guidance. But I just want to say up front, God cares about all the decisions. But, but when He talks to us specifically, when He gives us specific co- commands about, like, syncing up with God's will, it... It looks like a lot of these things have to do with like getting us totally in line with that big thing that he's about. So here's a, here's a slide. Three verses that kind of talk, show us that. So you want to know what the will of God is? The will of God is that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now, I just got to tell you honestly how how this affects me. I would love to silence the ignorance of foolish people. I would love to do that. Or to silence the foolishness of ignorant people. And, and if I, if I go on social media and just like read through Facebook for a few minutes, I find a whole bunch of foolishness that I would love to put to silence. (laughs) <laughs> and 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 but I I recognize I have like low tolerance for that so I try to back off really fast you know because my ways of thinking about silencing people is like uh, writing some piece that shows them how stupid they are that's kind of what I think I want to do you know and uh and I have to tell Mary you know don't tell me any more bad news because it'll just make me want to like throw bombs or something. I mean, not real bombs, but you know, truth bombs. Yeah. <laughs> but but what? I, here's the conviction I got when I read this passage. The will of God, Tim, <laughs> is that you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, not by your own rants but by doing good. Oh! Oh! That was like a wake-up call for me. I mean, do good! That was helpful. But you see, that it's like totally bringing me back into God's big plan and big purpose. And then this one. This is the will of God, your sanctification. God is holy. He wants us to be holy. He says, you are holy. And then He says, make yourselves holy. It's a, it's a thing that's both a current reality and an ongoing process, you know. And, and the ongoing process is that our behaviors and our thought life are increasingly like sold out to God. You know, that's what sanctification is, is when your habits and thought life is increasingly sold out to God, dominated by His interests. But He says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And you know, I just want to tell you, I've been a pastor for a while, and I got it. I mean, this is really abstaining from sexual immorality is a really good idea. Besides being 
I mean, it is God's will for you, but um, not abstaining from sexual immorality leads to a whole line of bad decisions. I mean, it, it complicates things terribly. And so, so God's will is that we be holy, but see, He's saying do something or don't do something and it will help. Okay? And then this last one. 1 Thessalonians 5. Give thanks in all circumstances. Oh my goodness. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. All these passages talk about God's will and in all of them the will of God is that we demonstrate and live out and practice submission to King Jesus. See? So, I'm I'm saying this is basic. Next week we'll talk about things like, you know, how to find help if you want to get married or buy a car or some other decision. But right now we're saying these basic decisions form a framework for everything else that's built on it. So, um, just a few kind of summary statements here. The primary requirement for knowing the specific will of God is to be in the general will of God. What God wants, if you get tight in what God wants for everybody, then you're better set up to know what His specific will is for you in specific situations. The best way to learn God's purpose for your, your life is to get on board with God's purpose for humanity, what He intended from creation. Um, practicing, doing what God has told us to do generally will enable you to see more clearly God's will for you in every, in every situation that you encounter. So... Um, so at the, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the, the last little bit of Matthew 7, Jesus tells a story of two guys who were building houses. But really, He's talking about building lives. And in building a life, just like in building a house, there are loads and loads of decisions to make. But the first decision is perhaps the most important. And that is, where are we building it? And he said there were, were these two guys who were building houses, and one of them found a solid rock on which to build his house, and the other guy built his house on the beach, which sounded great. I mean, when he thought about it, he'd love to have a house on the beach. But the guy who built his house on the rock was in better shape because Not long after they built these houses, there was a great big storm and wind and rain and waves. And the guy who built his house on the beach, his house crashed. And the guy who built on the rock, his house stood. Okay, and this is like your life. And the rock is what Jesus says and what Jesus wants and what Jesus requires. And that's why it's good to say to him, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because you want to build on that one. And you don't, if you don't, something's going to crash at some point. And so, so that's the news. Now, now just before that, just a little bit before that, 
in the same, in the same Sermon on the Mount, there's like a statement that is a summary of this. And let's just see that. This is my last slide, I believe. Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. The main thing I want is, Lord, for you to rule in my heart and in my family and in our church and in our community and in the ends of the earth. What's really in my heart, Lord, what my strongest desire at the top of my prayer list is that you would receive the adoration of all the people everywhere, that everyone would see how good you are, that everyone would bow down and and call on your name and lean on you. That's like the start. And then the second thing he says is do that and then live righteously. Walk in a right relationship with God. And and as far as it depends on you, be on right relationship with everybody else. And then he says, if you do these two things, everything you need will be given to you. Including the ability to make good decisions. So let's stand together. I want to pray. But before, before I do, I just want to, I just want to say maybe like, this is totally new to you. You, you may have come in here and like, I've never heard anything quite like this before, or, or maybe somewhere like in the past 20 minutes, you just thought, I, I like need to get my life on a better foundation than I'm building on right now. And I, I just wanted to tell you on the, on the, whatever chance there is that there's somebody in the room who thinks that's me. I would just love to chat with you. I'm going to just hear what you're thinking and maybe talk about it a little bit. So I'll be hanging around up here at the end of the meeting in case anybody wants that. Um, But I'm going to pray. So I want to to say, Father God, that I am so impressed with you. And I am grateful for what you've done. I'm grateful for you as the Creator of the world. I'm grateful for all the beauty that you made. The, the, the rich beauty and, and diversity of plants and animals and, and just how glorious this place is that you put us. And I, I, I praise you. I praise you for the way you made the man and the woman and the way you walked with them. And I, I praise you that when they messed up, you never gave up on your long-term plan. I praise you for that. And I, I praise you, Father and, and Son of God, my Lord Jesus, for your wisdom in providing a solution for our failure. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, for your perfect obedience. And I, I praise you, Father, for raising him from the dead. And I'm delighted that he's seated at your right hand. And I'm Delighted that you're bringing all things into subjection to him. And I'm delighted that the two of you decided to pour out your Holy Spirit on us to give us power to live. I'm pleased about all that. And I am looking forward so very much to seeing your glory fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. Come quickly, we pray. And in the meantime, enable us to make good decisions, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.